This is the Ford Theater, an hour of radio drama presented by the Ford Motor Company, makers of Ford, Mercury, and Lincoln cars, and Ford trucks, tractors, and motor coaches. Today's play, Storm in a Teacup. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Howard Lindsay speaking on behalf of the management of the Ford Theater. The people who make a business of counting radio audiences, or trying to count them, tell us that ours is growing very nicely each Sunday. And so, for the benefit of several hundred thousand newcomers who have dropped in on us today, perhaps I should repeat this salient fact about our program. Our plays from week to week are drawn from all the possible sources of dramatic material for radio from the stage and the screen, from literature old and new, and from original work done especially for our use. Today's play, Storm in a Teacup, is a comedy. It began life in pre-Hitler Germany under the title Sturm in Wasserglas. Then an English playwright, James Bridie, changed the setting to Scotland, and the new play, called Storm over Patsy, enjoyed successful runs in London and New York. Next, a fine English movie version was made. Upon the picture, Storm in a Teacup, our radio adaptation is based with a setting in these United States. And that brings us down to date on Storm in a Teacup. The present. Place, an American town we'll call Plainsfield. Plainsfield has a population of some 10,000 souls, more or less. More if you consult the local citizenry. Less if you look it up in the last census. Whatever the exact figure, Plainsfield is big enough to support a flourishing weekly newspaper, The Herald. And it is The Herald office and press room we are visiting now in company with a young man who seems to be looking for the editor. Uh, your name Burton? That's right. My name's Charlie Logan. Glad to know you, Charlie. Hey, uh, you going to be working on the paper? I applied for a job on the staff. Uh, <laughs> it ain't much of a staff, even for a weekly paper. How many are you? Well, counting you and me and Mr. Irving, uh, the owner, three. Charlie, is that Mr. Burton out there? Uh, yeah. Well, send him in. Yeah, go on in. Sorry to keep you waiting, Burton. This place is a madhouse. Day thousand things to do, and I'm supposed to make six o'clock train to Washington. Well, you've got exactly 18 minutes. I've uh, checked the references on the New York papers you gave me. It looks like you're the kind of reporter I can use. And this is the kind of paper I've always wanted to work for. There's something about a small weekly newspaper... The Plainfield that... Herald may be small by a big city standards, Burton, but it has a position of great trust among the people of this state. Well, that's why I came to you for a job. I'm a little tired of working for big newspapers. Good. Now, to begin with, I want you to do an article on the mayor of Plainsfield, William Gow. Picture story stuff. Give him a nice build-up. Why? What do you mean, why? He's the mayor of Plainsfield and our next governor. Oh, it's in the bag, huh? I think so. He's got Scary backing him. Who's Scary? You better check up on the political layout around here, Burton. George Scary is the man people mean when they talk about candidates being picked in Smokeville rooms. Oh, Sounds like quite a boy. I must get to know him. You will, but first get to know Mayor Gao. I promised we'd give him a big spread in our next edition. Okay. Gao for governor. I'll get right over to his office and have a talk with him. No, 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 no. Tell you what, he's presiding over a city council meeting at town hall tonight. Sit in on that. Then you'll get the personal interview tomorrow morning. Don't forget, make the story nice and friendly. William Gao. That's not a pretty name, but leave it to me. 
I'll make our mayor positively lovable. Now, Harris, these campaign posters won't do it all. Pictures make me look too stern. I want a picture to make me look, uh... uh, Lovable? Well, I'd uh, hardly say that's the exact word, but I would like to look human. Yeah, yeah, we'll uh, take some new pictures first chance I get. How about the rest of the posters? That's good, good. William Gow, loyalty and service to the people. Uh, devoted loyalty, perhaps? No, no, that's redundant. Let it go the way it is, but do something about that picture. Uh, Tell the printer, whoever it is, to put a little more hair on my head. You know, uh, retouch it a bit. Yeah. How about a pompadour? Don't be flippant. Let's take a look at the billboards. I hope that you... Hello, Father. Vicky, my dear. Harris, I don't believe you know my daughter. Victoria, this is Tom Harris, my campaign manager. How do you do? I know you. Victoria's been in England for the past year, Harris, working with the various European relief organizations. You don't know how I've been looking forward to having my little girl back home again. I can imagine. Uh, well, that'll be all for now, Harris. I'll I'll see you at the council meeting tonight. Okay. Nice to know you, Miss Girl. Goodbye, Mr. Harris. Talking of meetings, you might have met me at the station. Well, I'm sorry about that, Vicky, but it was absolutely impossible. I've been so busy lately. You know I'm running for governor. Mm, I know. I saw a few posters. But you don't know why I'm running. You see, Vicky, these are exceptional times. They require exceptional measures and exceptional men. Here, here. Being mayor of Plainsfield is all very well in its way. I have done what I can for the place. Tried to make it up to date. I have built them a new town hall, an amusement park, the only one in the county. Mm, you have been busy. They said in the Plainsfield Herald, I'm the best civic administrator in the state. I'm sure you're a great success. Well, thank you, Vicky. I don't mind telling you that my chances for election are very good. Uh, you know, George Scarry is coming for dinner tomorrow night. That should be dull. Well, he's an important man, Vicky, And you'll note that he comes to see me. I don't go to see him. This may mean big things for you, Father. There's no saying how big it may be. If I become governor, a time may come when I may be... Well, uh, Scarry told me that I might possibly find myself running... Mr. Gow, Mr. Gow, Your Honor, excuse me for breaking in this way, but I've got to see you. Uh, who are you? What do you want here? Uh, Honoria Hegarty is my name, Mr. Mayor, Your Honor. Uh, the same who lived down at the corner of Fleet Street and River Place over the butcher shop. If, if I seem to be out of breath, it's, it's because I ran every foot of the way. Get out of here this instant. Who let you in? Oh, what's the trouble, Mrs. Hegarty? It's me Patsy, me darling Patsy. And him as innocent as a newborn angel. What's he done, Mrs. Hegarty? Has he been arrested? Arrested, is it? The police have got him in the jailhouse, and they've probably beaten him half to death. Him that hasn't got a vicious bone in his body. Oh, Mr. Mayor, Your Honor, it is you that has the power to tell him to give Patsy back to me. Get out of this house before I have you but arrested. I... How dare you walk into my home and make a scene like this? Now, get out. But, Mr. Mayor, Your Honor, listen to me. Out, out, no. Oh, it's a massacre. That's what it is. It's even. It's a poor widow woman. No rights at all. Mr. Mayor, please. And don't you ever dare annoy me this way again. <laughs> City Plainsfield, I hereby call order. This special meeting of the City Council. Uh, Secretary, read the order of business on the agenda. Item one. The matter of new equipment for the street cleaning department. We'll table that till next meeting. Go on. But, Mr. Mayor... I said we'll table it. Next item. Appropriation for repairs to the roof of the firehouse. Mayor, I personally investigated the extensive damage to the roof, and I think... That's your trouble, Mr. Hodges. You think too much. Appropriation denied. Uh, next item on the agenda. Excuse me, miss. May I put my overcoat on the seat next to you? Oh, of course. Thank you. I have to take notes up here in the gallery, and an overcoat draped across my knees makes it a little difficult. Oh, I'm sorry. the name of George Wilson, the nomination. Mr. Mayor, it's out of order for anyone but the council members themselves to nominate. All in favor, George Wilson. Point of order, 
Sure, Mr. Mayor. You can't nominate Will you candidates. be seated, Mr. Ward? I have suggested George Wilson. That Mayor Gow is a little dictator, isn't he? Please be quiet. I'm trying to listen. Sorry. An application from Sam Ross, night watchman at the City Hall, for a raise of $2 a week. What grounds? Same grounds as last year. His wife is at a pair of twins. Not again. <laughs> application denied. We grant the application. We're only asking for a fourth set of twins. May I ask what you're doing at a city council meeting? I'm interested in my city government. Well, it looks like Mayor Gow runs this city single-handed. Will you please be quiet? Mm-hmm. Sorry. We'll table the matter, Mr. Ward. Now, gentlemen, we'll take up my plan for building a new wing on the Plainsfield Civic Auditorium. You've uh, been given uh, copies of the memorandum I drew up, and I'm sure you'll agree that the Gow Auditorium, as I like to think of it, can the be... The nerve of him. Builds it and names it after himself. I'm beginning to hate that man. More urgent building projects that we... Of course, you gentlemen may not consider it appropriate to call it the Gow Auditorium. Uh, do I hear any other suggestions? They wouldn't dare. Ah, well, uh, in that case, let's uh, examine these sketches that I've made here. Now, the entrance... Hey, I have my coat. While lovable Mr. Gow talks about the entrance, I'll make an exit. Good morning, Dad. I didn't think I'd find you up so early. Oh, good morning, Vicky. I'm up early every morning these days. Any more coffee in that pot? Mm-hmm, here you are. Oh, thank you. That council meeting last night lasted until after midnight. This morning I've got to see a reporter from the Herald. I'm speaking at the women's club at noon. I tell you, Vicky, politics is hard work. Only until you're elected. Vicky, that's when my real work will begin. But I'll be happy to sacrifice my personal comfort for the good of the people. A man, public life, cannot know the pleasure of leisure, of relaxation. Uh, yes, yes, I know, Daddy. It's only nine o'clock now. Your speech isn't scheduled until noon. Vicky, I don't think you appreciate the responsibility that I... Mr. Mayor, Your Honor, I've got to see you. Mrs. Hegarty, are you back again? I thought that front door was locked. I came around the back way. Mr. Mayor, Your Honor, if you don't help me, Patsy, I'll kill myself by suicide. That I will. Oh, Mrs. Hegarty, of course my father will help Patsy, but what is it? What did he do? He did nothing at all. He's an angel him with his curly hair and blue eyes. But if he goes, I go too. Up to the heavens above with the blessed saints. And it'll all be your fault, Mayor Gow. Mrs. Haggerty, I warn you, if you don't get out of here, there's... Uh, now, just a minute, Father. Mrs. Haggerty, calm yourself. Perhaps if we went down to police headquarters to see Patsy... They won't then... let me in to see him. Oh. Only four years old he is, and they've got him locked up in the cellar like a criminal. Only four years old and he's been arrested? Oh, perhaps if we talk to him... Sure, if we talk to him, he'll bark at you. Bark at her. Mrs. Haggerty, the case of your dog is closed once and for all. Dog? You told me it was about your son. No, I ask you, did I ever tell you anything of the kind? Not but what he's like a son to me. And now they're going to kill him in the gas chamber. Oh, kill a little dog nonsense. Pay the fine, they'll give Patsy back to you. Pay the fine, he says. Where's the likes of me going to get $25? Me barely scraping a living together at me newspaper stand. Ah, Mr. Mayor, now, Father, surely you can give Mrs. Haggerty a little leeway. Call police headquarters. Victoria, please go upstairs. Let me handle this woman. But, Father... Vicky, won't you go upstairs? Uh, very well. Don't worry, Mrs. Haggerty. My father will do something for you. Ah, it's a darling gay yard. And may you find a kind and handsome husband. Now, then, do you know what I'm going to do, Mrs. Haggerty? What, Your Honor? I threw you out once before. And I'm going to do it again. How do you do, Mr. Gow? My name is Burton. 
Mr. Irving asked me to do an article on you. Yes, yes, I know, I know. Sit down. Uh, Get your notebook out. Well, Mr. Gow, Will you stop jumping around like a French poodle? Sit down. Stagnation in public life. I beg your pardon? I'm dictating. Take it down. Uh, Well, don't I take notes and then write it up? Write it up? Put it into English. Don't be impertinent. And kindly put down exactly what I say. Are you ready? During Mayor Gow's term of office in Plainsfield, he has scrupulously maintained the principle that all people, great and small, are equal. Mm-hmm. Did you say something? No, no, nothing. Go on. William Gow is concerned with the well-being of every individual in the community. Two William Gow, great and small alike, can bring their problems. Confident that he will do all in his power to assist them. It is his firm belief that... Mr. Mayor, Your Honor, about me, Patsy. Mrs. Haggerty, are you insane? How many times must I throw you out of here before you stay out? You, mister, won't you try to persuade his honor to have mercy on Patsy? Patsy? Me little dog, bless his innocent heart. You wouldn't want your dog to be put in the gas chamber now, would you? Well, of course not. But why... Now, this woman has failed to pay her dog's license fee, refused to pay her fine. It ain't that I won't pay. I can't. I haven't the money. The card passed sentence, and rightly. This town is full of dirty little mongrels. You must make an example. How much does she owe, Mr. Mayor? Mm-hmm. $2 license fee, $25 fine. Can't they make an exception? No, I won't permit it. Oh, it's the hardest stone the man has. Well, suppose I pay it for her. $27, you say? You'll do nothing of the sort. Either she pays, she loses her dog. Now, get out, Mrs. Haggerty. Out wait, here. Wait, Mr. Mayor, wait. I've gone and borrowed $8. Now, will you take that much now, and I'll pay off the rest in about... Don't try to make any bargains with me. Now, out. Come on. But where now, am I going to get the money? I'd pay $1,000 for me to the patsy if I only... And I'm not fooling, Mrs. Haggerty. The next time you break in here, you'll wind up in a jail cell. Yeah. It's the only thing some people understand is jail. Did you ever hear such wailing and screaming just because of a dog? Some people are very fond of their dogs. Personally, I despise dogs. Oh, well. That's off the record, you understand. <laughs> a statement like that wouldn't look very good in print, wouldn't it? Not from a would-be governor. Yeah, of course not. Well, let's uh, let's get back to the article for the Herald. Where was I? Well, let's see. You were saying the great and the small can bring their problems to William Gow, and he will do all in his power to assist them. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And it can be truthfully said that no man has ever been more anxious to lend a helping hand to give aid and comfort when needed to show by word and deed that he is truly a friend of all the people in time of need. Yes, William Gow's love for his fellow man is exceeded on... There you are, Charlie. Feature story on Mayor Gow. Okay. Well, don't stand there reading it. Start setting it up in type. We go to press in 20 minutes. Yeah, Mr. Burton, you only started working here yesterday, didn't you? Yes, why? You ain't going to be working here tomorrow. Why not? Oh, on account of this. You really want the Herald to print this story on Mayor Dow? I didn't write it just to practice typing. Now, look. Mr. Irving owns this paper, and he's a very good friend of the mayor's. I see what you mean. I'm only a printer, Mr. Burton, but I think you're cutting your throat by writing this. Not Mr. Gow's throat? His, too. But... Don't you care about yours? Charlie, a long time ago, some bright fellow said the truth is a two-edged weapon. Sometimes it kills the man who uses it and the man he uses it on. So? So set up this copy in a manner befitting our great mayor. A front-page spread for lovable Willie Gow. Going. Why don't you 
watch the lights. You oh. almost ran me over. I... Oh, hello. Hello. Remember me? I sat next to you at city council meeting last night. I remember. Well, now that you've almost run me over, the least you can do is give me a lift to where I'm going. Well, all right, hop in. <laughs> Lucky you've got good brakes. I guess I was jaywalking. Oh, no, no, it was my fault. Oh, it was my fault, I insist. Next time it can be your fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's that building over there? Uh, the civic auditorium. Oh, yes, the one Mayor Gow built. Wonder why he's so proud of it. It's a monstrosity. I think it's lovely. And that little mass of bricks shaped like a mushroom is a library, I take it? That's what it says in great big letters over the door. The William Gow Public Library. <laughs> he's a modest fellow, isn't he? Well, he gave the money to build it. He probably had more than enough left over from the profits of the civic auditorium job. You don't think much of Mayor Gow, do you? I think, briefly, that he's a louse. Now, just a moment. I... Oh, now I know he's the man you probably voted for, but we all make mistakes. The fact is, the man is a disgrace to this very nice little town. Well, you're new here, but you know exactly what's going on, don't you? You haven't been influenced by any chance by that article in the Herald this morning. A little. I wrote it myself. Personally, I think that... Did you write that vicious, disgusting trash? With my own two little typing pens. Oh! Get out of this car. Now, wait a second. What are you getting so burned up about? I wrote the article about Gao, not you. May I introduce myself? I'm Victoria Gao, Mayor Gao's daughter. You're his... You're... Oh, you're kidding. I mean, of all the people in this town... Are you going to get out of my car, or shall I yell for help? No. Just wait and listen. I'm not backtracking on a word of that interview. I really meant it when I said your father is a hypocrite and a political hack. What? But you've got to understand why I wrote what I did. You slandered him. You know that, don't you? What harm has he ever done to you? To me? No harm. It's hard to explain. No decent action is ever hard to explain. Perhaps not. You don't mean to say that idiotic business about the dog. You think it was idiotic? It's so small. Oppression is never small. No, but this doesn't make sense. You'll lose your job. You'll never get another one. And all because you got sentimental about a silly old woman and her mongrel dog. Well, wouldn't you have? I did. Uh, I mean, why did you do it? What sort of a man are you anyhow? Did you ever know a decent sort of man who could tell you straight off what sort of a decent man he was? I've never known a man who did the mischief you've done for no reason at all. Look here, if you really want to know, I'll tell you something I've never... No. Wouldn't do any good. Goodbye. I guess I'd better take the bus after all. Oh, wait. Uh, tell me. Well, when I was a kid, I lived at the foot of a steep hill. Wagons used to go up the hill with heavy loads. Sometimes the horses couldn't take the load, and then the drivers hit them. On their flanks, their bellies, their eyes and nostrils. One day I couldn't stand it. I was scared out of my shoes, but I went for one of the drivers. He just put the flat of his hand against my face and sent me spinning into the gutter. I was only a little kid. So I said to myself, when you grow up, you'll hit out. Every time, no matter what it costs. And you've done that? Yes, well, here comes a bus. No. Let me drive you. I, I don't know where you're going, but I'm going that way, too. Wait with some pleasure the return of Mayor Gao to Plainsfield, where a storm is brewing and things are ready to break wide open in Act Two. In the meantime, 
A familiar figure emerges from the wings. This is Kenneth Banghart, who speaks for the Ford Motor Company. In the 44 years since the first Ford cars began rolling over the roads, millions and millions of Americans have learned from their own experience that Ford cars mean dependability and economy. Millions have come to expect remarkable performance as a matter of course when they own a car made by Ford. However, quite often, Ford owners take the trouble to write the Ford Motor Company about the way their cars have served them. Recently, Mr. J.R. Kuntz of Nashville, Tennessee, took time off from his electrical repair business to write about his experience. I started using Ford in Model T days, he wrote, and they get better each year. My present car is my 24th Ford and the best I've ever owned. I've driven this car 40,000 miles, and outside of gas, oil, and lubrication, I've not spent one nickel on it. I average 20 miles to the gallon on trips and 18 miles to the gallon on city driving. I never add oil between changes. And Mr. Kuntz concluded, My Fords have always served me dependably and economically. I'm looking forward to the delivery of my new Ford, which will be my 25th. That's typical of the letters the Ford Motor Company has been receiving for three generations now. Typical of the way owners of Ford products feel about their cars. Typical of the performance Ford products give. You can depend on Ford. Act two of Storm in a Teacup will be heard after a brief pause for station identification. Ford Theater, Storm in a Teacup, Act Two. Scene, the very small apartment of Mrs. Honoria Hegarty, the same who lives down at the corner of Fleet Street and River Place over the butcher's shop. Mrs. Hegarty is alternately sipping a cup of strong tea and murmuring strong words against the heartless men who have stolen her Patsy away. For Patsy, unlucky dog, is still in jeopardy. A visitor arrives. Come in. Me place is a mess, but come in anyway. Well, now, Mrs. O'Connor. And what brings you here this hour of the morning? Tis the excitement all over town. That's what, Mrs. Hegarty. You're famous. What are you talking about? Here. Look at this week's Herald. Read yourself. Here, let me... Well, now, the saints be praised. If that isn't my own name all over the page in letters the size of a great whale itself that swims in the wide ocean. Will you listen to this now? That's here. It is high time our local uh, bumbles learn to administer the law with decency. And what's a bumble, will you tell me? Oh, what do you know? And listen to this, Mrs. O'Connell. It was beneath the mayor's dignity to set her mind at rest. It wasn't beneath his dignity to kick her out of doors. This dull bully loves to make a grand parade of his principles. They're not good enough for us. And neither is he. Come back later. I'm busy. Oh, no, no. I, I mean, come in. Oh, it's so excited I am. I don't know what I'm saying. Come in. Good morning, Mrs. Hegarty. Oh, Officer McKinney. Mrs. O'Connell, this is the brave policeman who took Patsy away from me, unarmed and single-handed. Oh, now, Mrs. Hegarty, I was only following orders. Well, you sure started something. I'll tell you that, Mr. McKinney. You've seen the paper, no doubt. I certainly have. Did you go to the newspaper office to tell your story? Of course not, you numbskull. Can't you read? This reporter fellow was in the house when I came to see Mayor Gow. 
Made a devil look him straight in the eye, the mayor, that he's not the reporter. Well, there's a fellow who'll be looking for a job soon. The reporter, that is, not the mayor. Nobody in this town criticizes Gow and gets away with it. Well, now, if that's all the news you've come to bring me, there's the door, McKinney. Take yourself and your uniform right out of here. Oh, no, wait, Mr. Secretary. I, uh, I just came by to give you some information. Uh, unofficially, of course. What's that? If Patsy's license fee and the fine aren't paid within 48 hours, they're going McKinney, to... McKinney, are you telling me that, they, that they're going... Oh, no. Oh, no, they couldn't do that to me, Patsy, me baby, me love. Well, that's the law, Mrs. Hagerty. I thought I ought to warn you. Where's me shawl? Where's me shawl? Oh, Mrs. O'Connell, you're sitting on a jib-up woman. Oh, no, Mrs. Hagerty, calm yourself. Where are you running now? Out of my way. I've got to see Mayor Gow again. He's got to give me a little more time. I'll plead with him. I'll oh, give you Oh, you can't see him, Mrs. Hagerty. He's oh. out of town. Oh. He won't be back until time for his political meeting tonight. And he'll be too busy to talk to you then. I know what I'll do. I'll go see that reporter fella, the one who wrote the article. He'll think of something. He's educated. He'll help a poor widow woman. Oh, Patsy, me darling, don't despair. Your mother will save you, no matter what. Harris, this rally was supposed to get started at 9 o'clock. The hall is jammed, but where's Gow? Oh, sit down and keep quiet, Irving. He'll get here. I just called the station. His train came in 10 minutes ago. He ought to be here any minute. I suppose he hasn't seen this week's Herald? No, don't you mention it to him before his speech. The second he gets here, hustle him onto the platform and let him start talking. He's going to find out about that article you ran, Mr. Irving. I didn't run it, Miss Gow. I was out of town and I gave the assignment to Burton, the new reporter I hired. Oh, will I take care of him first chance I get? I'll fire him so fast and so far he'll never Hello, be Hello, everybody. Vicki Harris. Hello, Irving. Great night, eh? There's a tremendous uh, crowd in the hall, Father. Uh, come on, Mr. Mayor. We can't keep him waiting any longer. We can get to the stage through this side door. Oh, too big right. a mob out there. You got your speech all set? Of course. I didn't like the opening the way you wrote it. Hair, so I rewrote most of it. Naturally. Uh, do you hear that? Hear, hear, hear them? <laughs> so they're calling for their willy, eh? Well, they shall have their willy. Uh, who's going to introduce me tonight? I will. Come on, the crowd's getting restless. I'll give you a very brief introduction. Yes, sir. Well, they're not too brief, but, uh, well, you know. I'll come out just as soon as you mention my name. Okay. Good luck, Father. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I know you have been waiting patiently to hear tonight's principal speaker. He needs very little introduction from me. After all, you all know him. So I will only say that there is no one who has done more for Plainsfield than Mayor Gow. And tonight I want you to show him what you really think of him in your hearts. As Robert Burns so wisely said, Oh, what some power the gift to give us to see ourselves as others see us. Uh, yes. Now, you can give your mayor the power to see himself as you see him tonight. I give you Willie Gow. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, I think I may call you my friends. I'm sure I may call you my friends. What's the matter with him, Irving? Keep talking. <clears throat> We live, my friends, in exceptional times, and such times require exceptional measures. Ah, my friends! <laughs> what is needed today is a firm hand at the helm. 
A man who will go on and on and up and up. <laughs> on and on and up and up, keeping always before him the best interests of the whole community. <laughs> Mr. Irving, what's the meaning of this? I... I haven't any idea, Mr. Gow. I'm getting out of here. There's something very strange about this, and I intend to find out what it is. Father, will you please stop pacing up and down that way? You keep out of this, Vicky. Mr. Irving, I told you to have Burton here in your office at 10 o'clock. It is now uh, 10.15. He'll be here. I sent Charlie Logan to get him. Now, Mr. Gow, you understand I had nothing to do with the article. I was out you of town. You told me man... that 20 times. Where's Burton? If you'd done the right thing, Father, you'd have paid that woman's fine yourself. It's all so trivial. Trivial? Look at this. Look at this on the front page of the New York Bulletin. Oh. Well, this is awful. Political candidate barked down at town hall rally. They think that's funny. What's going to happen tonight? It's your dinner for George Scary. Oh, Scary. I forgot about him. Where is Burton? I'll break that fellow. You'd better be careful, Father. I don't think you know Mr. Burton. Are you defending him, Victoria? Before I'm through with him, he's going Good to... Good morning, gentlemen. Oh, I didn't expect to see you here, Miss Gow. I'm on the welcoming committee. Mr. Burton, I'm going to ask you a few questions. And I'd advise you to stick to the truth. Is this the headquarters of the Gestapo? You'll find out where you are. Soon enough. Burton, how much did they pay you? What are you talking about? You needn't act so innocent. We know who's backing you, Burton. What exactly was it worth to you? Go on, man, speak. The opposition paid you to get that muck into the Herald. And you were in back of that riot at Town Hall, too. The plot unmasked, eh? So you don't deny it. I wouldn't spoil your fun. It'll be no fun for you. You're going to sweat for this. Look here, I came here of my own free will because I thought I'd help you out of your mess. Though heaven knows why I should. But after your childish insinuations... Wait, sir, you see this? This is withdraw the statements in your article. I'll, I'll read it to you. I, the undersigned... You needn't bother. Of course not. It's quite an order. Just sign here at the bottom. Are you serious? What do you mean? No. What do you mean, no? You mean you refuse? That's what I'm trying to convey. But why not? Because every word of what I wrote is true. Burton, do you know what this lets you in for? No, and I don't care. You can consider yourself fired. I considered myself that yesterday, Mr. Irving. You won't find another job. We'll see to that. I'm sure you will. You realize this means an action for... For... Slander. Slander. And not only civil action, but criminal proceedings. And ten years in jail and twenty lashes three times a day. I don't care. Mr. Gow, I'll tell you this. You're not a bad fellow at heart. But you've got to remember one thing. The people of this country are the most patient on God's earth. They'll put up with humbug, hypocrisy, shilly-shallying, and hardship. They'll pull in their belts if they think it's their duty. They'll go to the four corners of the earth and be blown to bits if need be. But two things they will not stand. Bullying and cruelty. And if you've forgotten that, I'll make it my business to remind you. If you want to. You're, um, packing your clothes, I see. You're very observant. Where are you going? Where people usually go after they've messed things up. Away. What are you going to do? Look for another job, I suppose. If you can get one. 
What are you going to live on in the meanwhile? Have you any money at all? Nope. Cigarette? No, thanks. You may need them. Frank. What did you say? Well, don't get excited. I, I want to ask you something. Yeah, but, but you called me Frank. Well? Well, that's my name. So I thought. But it's the first time you've spoken my first name. What about it? It's the first time you've called me Frank. Frank, listen. I want to... Oh, well, here he is, gentlemen. Oh. Imagine. We looked all over town for him. I never once thought of looking where he was sure to be right at home. Uh, how are you, Burton? I'm Joe Phillips, Charter Chronicle, and this is William, Universal Press. Hi. Reporters, bless them. Oh, the way they've been writing down every word I've been saying. And me picture and everything. And now they want to talk to you, Mr. Burton. Mrs. Hegarty, I've done what I can to help you. Now let's forget the whole thing. Huh? Forget it. Say, are you out of your mind? This is the sweetest little human interest story we've had in ten years. We're going to plaster your name all over the country. <laughs> a modern David fighting a political Goliath. Go away. Oh, and this is her honor, the mayor's daughter, gentlemen, Victoria Gow. Oh, hey, there's even a romantic angle. Whose side are you on, Miss Gow? Your father's or your boyfriend's? Frank, this is ridiculous. Can't you? Look, boys, give me a break. Lay off until tonight. Maybe I'll have a real story for you. You mean after the dinner Gow is giving George Scary? Yes, come back here at midnight. I'll give you the whole story then, okay? Uh, right, see you later. So long, Miss Gow. Come on, Mrs. Haggerty. So long, Burton. Come over to my house, gentlemen. I have a photograph of me beautiful Patsy that I'd like you to print in the paper. It was taken on his birthday. Frank, why did you ask him to come back here after the dinner party? I didn't want to talk to them now. Oh, I was hoping you'd tell them that your attack on my father was all a mistake. You know I'm right. You said so. I never said you were right. I said your motives were... Frank, you've made your protest, and it was a fine thing to do. Well, thanks. After all, it's something in these days for anyone to risk his career for fair play, but there's no point in going on now. That's pig-headedness. It's as old as the pigs. Did you come here to make a speech? Frank, be generous. What? You gave Father a pretty hard blow. You've made him look foolish. The worst thing you could do to him. Why not call it a day? But what about Patsy? Well, put it this way. If he behaves decently to Mrs. Hegarty, you'll sign the statement withdrawing the article. Supposing he won't. He will. He may break his word. Then we'll both tell the world what we think of him. Both? Then you're in this with me? Yes. Oh, it's a deal, Vicky. Talk fast, Mr. Burton. I have some very important guests inside. We're about to have dinner. I would have come at another time, Mr. Gow, but this is urgent. It's about Mrs. Hegarty. What about Mrs. Hegarty? Well, if you'll make amends to her for the way you've acted about Patsy, I'll sign a withdrawal of the article I wrote. Apologize to Mrs. Hegarty? Are you crazy? Me apologize to that crow after the trouble she's caused me? Well, all you have to do is admit that you acted hastily, give her an extension of time to pay the fine, and it's all over. You have your nerve. I made a decision regarding that woman and her flea-bitten hound. It's going to stand. Mr. Gow, I want you to be fair. Fair? You're not giving orders to me, young man. You've lost your job in the paper. Now get out of my house before I have you kicked out. Good night, Mr. Gow. Your political career, if I may say so, is rapidly going to the dogs. Going to the dogs? What does he mean by that? Oh, he's put me in a fine mood to entertain Scary. Father, who was that? Oh, it was there. Nobody important. There's a fellow asking for a charity donation. Have another drink, Mr. Scary? Don't mind if I do. To your health, Miss Gow. Oh, thank you, Mr. Scary. Uh, now you sit here, Mr. Scary. This chair is more comfortable. Yeah, thank you. Now, about your adoption as official candidate. I thought it was all settled. I had hoped it was. But tell me, what's all this about a dog? I don't understand. I've heard things. 
It would be awkward if Oh, I... you mean? Oh, that! <laughs> it was just a storm in a teacup. A woman refused to pay her dog license, and some young kids made a sort of joke of it. Uh, exuberance of youth, you know. I see. It wasn't an organized thing? Oh, no, no, no. The papers made out there was a riot. A riot? It wasn't a riot, uh, was it, Harris? Oh, no, no, just fun and games. Hmm. I understand you're very highly respected in this neighborhood, Mr. Gow. Well, there's nobody more respected than the mayor. His word, so to speak, uh, is law. Popular, too? Extremely popular. Well, you know, popularity's a tender plant. The tactless handling of a situation might be the end of us. I assure you, Mr. Scarry, the whole childish affair is finished and done with, and I... Well, if you, uh... I say, if uh, if you really think... What's going on out there? As uh, uh, our neighbor's dogs. Uh, Vicky, uh, close the window. All right. Father! The, the lawn is full of dogs. Look, look how they're jumping into the room. Close the window. Oh. Good heavens, the hall is full of dogs, too. Somebody left the door open. Get down. Get away from me, you beast. Where did all these dogs come get out from? Here. Get out of here. Scat. Get out of here. Mr. Scurry, uh, I, I, I'm terribly sorry. Now, Mr. Scurry, don't move or that Airedale will go for you. Exuberance of youth, eh? Respected, eh? Popular, eh? Call my car. But, Mr. Scary, Harris, get these animals out of here. You need a dog trainer, not a campaign manager. Mr. Scary, don't go like this. Please, please. It's all a mistake. Good night, Mr. Gow. Victoria, Harris, get these dogs out of here. Going to the dogs. That's what he was talking about. Who was talking about it? Burton, that reporter. He arranged all this. Uh, hey, Vicky, get my lawyer on the phone, will you? Your lawyer? What for? What are you going to do? I'm going to have that Burton arrested. Oh, no. I'll charge him with mayhem, disorderly conduct, breach of the peace, slander, assault, defamation. <laughs> Tempest over Patsy begins to gather force as thunderheads as threatening as the mayor's purple countenance roll up on the horizon of Act Three just ahead of us. In the calm before the storm, we'll turn to the peaceful, persuasive accents of Kenneth Banghart, spokesman here for the Ford Motor Company. Kenneth has a particularly important announcement for your attention today. Ken? This week, you'll be able to see for the first time the new 1948 models of a famous Ford product. This Friday, Ford dealers all over the country will have on display the new 1948 Ford trucks. Very soon now, you'll be seeing them on the road. And whether or not you buy or operate trucks, you'll be interested in the new 48 Ford trucks because they will have new beauty and power and because they will serve you better. Life insurance experts have proven that Ford trucks last up to 19 and 6 tenths percent longer. That is their record of past performance. But these 48 models are designed to be even better. The new Ford trucks will embody to a new degree the engineering principles that assure even longer life. They will be bonus-built. According to Webster, bonus is something given in addition to what's usual or strictly due. And that's what bonus-built means. The new 48 Ford trucks are designed and built with a bonus of extra strength in every vital part. This extra strength means work reserves in 48 Ford trucks. They will have a greater range of use, an ability to handle extra heavy loads. And bonus built also means that the new 48 Fords will do their jobs more easily, with less strain and wear. They will last longer because they are built stronger and work easier. You are served by trucks every day in a thousand different ways. You will be served better and more economically... 
because trucks are built better by Ford, the company that has built more trucks than any other. Watch for the new 48 Ford truck, built stronger to last longer. Bonus built by Ford. final act of Storm in a Teacup begins, our hero, Frank Burton, has joined Patsy in municipal custody. On a warrant drawn up by Mayor Gow, an outraged person, he's been arrested and tossed into the clink for all the crimes the mayor could find under the general heading of libel and slander. While he languished in durance vile, however, the Patsy case has been crowding politics and inflation off the front pages of the land. The storm has grown to nationwide proportions, and a great wind is sweeping across the world. A few voices out of the rising chorus. Let's see. Butter, pot cheese, cornflakes. Oh, yes, and let me have a can of dog food. I'm all out of it, Mrs. Pitney. Uh, since when have you got a dog? I haven't. But I wanted to send a can of food to Patsy. You know, that little dog out in Plainsfield. Why do you think I got no dog food left in stock? Everybody in town's been sending dog food to that food. Members of the Ladies' League for the Protection of Precious Pets, I move that we dispense with our annual boat ride and picnic and donate the money to the aid of Mr. Burton, the defendant in the Patsy case. After all, we must remember our motto, a dog, cat, goldfish, canary, or other pet is man's best friend. Members of the friends of the feathered, the four-footed, and the furry. <clears throat> I understand that the members of the Ladies' League for the Protection of Precious Pets have volunteered funds for the defense of the Patsy case. We who are friends of the feathered, the four-footed, and the furry cannot permit a smaller organization such as the Ladies' League for the Protection of Precious Pets to outdo us. So let our answer be that the FFFF will double the donation made by the Ladies' League for the Protection of Precious Pets. All in favor, say aye. Aye. Ah, there's good news tonight. The continent of Europe is a seething cauldron of distrust and animosities. But here at home, here at home, there's a bright ray of sunshine. Yes, a reporter in the little town of Plainsfield has taught us that simple honesty and American courage burns as bright as ever. And the you man who... The chair recognizes the distinguished senator from the south. Somebody, I say somebody, has been behaving like a hound dog. We gotta get together here and take care of Patsy. Patsy, that is. We are speaking to you now from the Luxembourg Palace in Paris, where the Council of Foreign Ministers of the Big Four Powers has been hurriedly called together in special session. Sir Fosdick Algin on Tewkesbury, representing Britain, has the floor. On instructions from His Majesty's. Uh, government, I wish to go on record as casting an affirmative vote for the uh, measure at hand in re the dog Patsy. The British people is on the side of the uh, 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 underdog. And as a matter of fact, 
on the side of all dogs generally, wherever they may uh, uh, be found, more or less. Thank you. Si le chien Percy continue d'être la victime de l'infâme Mergo, le gouvernement français a l'intention d'inviter M. Frank Burton et Mme Honoria Egarté à devenir citoyens de la République française. Vive le pauvre petit chien de Mme Egarté. Vive Percy. And vive la France. Gentlemen, the people of the United States, whom I represent, look to us assembled here to take positive, immediate, and unequivocating action in the case of Patsy. I address the representative of the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. Shall we make our decision unanimous? For this one time, positively yes. Burden, as long as I've been a reporter, I've never seen anything like it. Everybody's talking about the case. While you've been trooped up in this two-by-four jail, you've become a national celebrity. Oh, well, thanks for telling me. Now, if you don't mind, I'd like to get a little sleep. And don't <laughs> slam the door of the cell on okay. your way up. Oh, Mr. Burton, I'm terribly sorry to find you with this miserable cell, but you'll be out in no time. Uh, <clears throat> my name is Watkins, national president of the feathered, the four-footed, and the furry. National president of what? The FFFF. And we have collected enough money to provide you with an excellent lawyer at your trial. I don't need your help, little man. When I want to become a publicity stunt for your federation of futile fatheads, I'll let you know. Hey, what are you talking about, Sean? This guy's outfit wants to go to bat for you. It can go to... Look, what started out as a perfectly honest personal issue has become a national entertainment. I don't care whether I win the case or not. I've lost my job, I've lost my future, and I've lost my... Oh, will both of you please get out? No, I quite understand how you feel, Mr. Burton, upset and nervous and all that. But the friends of the feathered, four-footed and furry is going to defend you, whether you like it or not. This, Mr. Burton, is a flaming cause. Good day, sir. I'll see you in court tomorrow. <laughs> Proceed with the case of Gao versus Burton. You are the attorney for the defendant? I am, Your Honor. The defendant, Frank Burton, is charged with violation of Section 4 of the Corrupt and Illegal Practices Act of 1878. Your Honor, I wasn't even born then. <laughs> Quiet. Do you understand the charge, Mr. Burton? I think so. How do you plead? Does it make any difference? My client pleads not guilty, Your Honor. Call the first witness. <clears throat> Uh, will Charles Logan take the stand? I'm Charlie Logan. Raise your right hand. Uh, you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth? I do. Uh, Mr. Logan, you are a compositor working for the Plainsfield Herald. I am. That is, you set up in print the matter appearing in the paper? I do. On the night in question, you were given by the defendant an article to set up? I was. Was the defendant the author of the article. I was. <laughs> Silence. Mr. Burton, how dare you? I was only trying to save time, Mr. Menzies. When I defend a case, I expect my client to behave himself. I didn't ask you. I wanted to defend myself. Really? Leave him to me, Mr. Menzies. Mr. Burton, you must not interrupt the hearing. Go on, Mr. Menzies. The witness may step down. I uh, now wish to call Mrs. Honoria Haggerty. <laughs> 
hello there, Mr. Burton. Hello, Mrs. Haggerty. You look mighty stylish today. Don't I, though? Oh, I've been buying myself clothes like a daft one. What with everybody contributing donations for the defense of Patsy. Ah, but the publicity's told so on the nerves of him that I've had to put him in a nursing home to have a rescue, and he's going to... Stop that chatter, Mrs. Haggerty. You've been called as a witness. Oh, I know, Your Honor. But it's only polite to say a word to this poor, unfortunate man. Who's the best friend I ever had? Who stands up for others, the widow and the orphan, the poor and the needless? Mrs. Haggerty, you are showing contempt for the court. Oh, it's plenty of contempt I have, Your Honor. What? I, uh, I mean for the case, of course, not, not for you personally. <laughs> well, now, young fellow, what do you want? Raise your right hand. You solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Well, I like that. Do you think I'd be coming here to tell lies? <laughs> Answer yes or no. All right, yes. Counsel for the defendant may proceed. <clears throat> Mrs. Hegarty, exactly what happened on the day of August 18th, 1947? Well, now, it was on that morning that I went to see Mayor Gow, the stiff-necked, flat-faced ape that he is. <laughs> You must not express animus toward the plaintiff, Mrs. Hegarty. Now, is that what I did? As a writer, I think that Mrs. Hegarty's powers of description are excellent. Mr. Burton, you'll have to be silent when another witness is on the stand. We apologize, Your Honor. Whose side are you on, anyway? I'm trying to help your case, Mr. Burton. Thousands of dollars have been contributed for your defense. We all know where the money is going, Mr. Menzies, don't we? <laughs> order! Order! This exchange between counsel and defendant is outrageous. Mr. Menzies, can't you control your client? You told me to leave him to you, Your Honor. <laughs> Don't be impertinent, Mr. Menzies. The next person to laugh will be turned out of court. <laughs> Mr. Burton. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, go on with your story, Mrs. Hegarty. Oh, thank you, Mr. Burton. Oh, it's a fine writer you are. And that article of yours was a great comfort to me. You know, I've had it framed and, and, and hung on the wall between a peck picture of President Truman and a colored enlargement of the late Mr. Hegarty that was, God rest his soul. Mrs. Hegarty, you're on the witness stand. Well, it's the truth I'm telling. It is hanging on me wall between a picture of President Mr. Menzies, and... if you do not get on with your case, I shall... Your Honor, there's nothing I can do. You could go home, Mr. Menzies. Are you telling me... Yes, and I'll even help you pack up your papers. But, Mr. Burton... Nice to have had you with us, old man. Your Honor, my attorney is withdrawn. From this point on, I will handle my case myself. Mr. Watkins, will you kindly stop trailing me around the lobby? But, Mr. Burton, the FFFF is passionately interested in your case. Your organization is a collection of nitwits. Now go away. There's someone over there I want to talk to. Well, I must say, you are the most stubborn young man I have ever... Well, fancy meeting you here, Miss Gow. Uh, we meet in the strangest places, Mr. Burton. You've come to see me hang? Oh, Frank... Why have you been acting so childish in the courtroom? You, you seem determined to throw away your own case. My own case to do exactly what I like with. As to what happens to me, nobody but myself gives two hearty hoots. Don't be so sure of that. You mean you do? Of course I do. That's why I don't like to see you make a fool of yourself in court. It doesn't matter. I'm as good as convicted right now, and you know it. Your father would never have pressed charges if he weren't absolutely sure of himself. Isn't there anything to be said in your favor? Not that I can think of. I wrote the article. I can't deny that. Now it's simply a matter of your father proving that it brought him anguish, damaged his reputation, and all the rest of that stuff he cooked up. Can he prove it? If he has enough witnesses, and I'm sure he has. His campaign manager, the publisher of the Herald, and plenty of other stooges, they'll all swear that my article wrecked his life. Frank, if I Mr. Can... Burden, you can't talk to a witness for the prosecution. What? 
Oh. I'm sorry, officer. I didn't know you were going to be a witness, Vicky. Uh, yes, I am. You see, that I... That was pretty clever of you. Trying to find out what defense I had, if any. Frank, I had no such thought. I... After Papa parades all his other witnesses, daughter Vicky will step up and nail the lid on my coffin. Don't say things like that. I couldn't help being called as a witness. I'm his daughter. Oh, I, I understand. But now I've got some news for you. I was pretty deliberately throwing away my case before. Now, Miss Gow, I'm going back into that courtroom and fight. And so, Your Honor, Burton deliberately set out to persecute me. Mr. Burton, do you wish to cross-examine? I should say I do. Mr. Gow, as mayor of the city of Plainsfield, you are also its chief magistrate? I am. In the matter of Mrs. Hegarty and her dog, Patsy, you could have, if you wished, helped her by setting aside her fine until such time as she saved up enough money to pay it. When a woman breaks the law, I refuse to help her go on breaking it. Is it true that you might have helped the poor woman by paying the fine yourself? She didn't really need my assistance. As for being a poor woman, judging from the way she's all dressed up today, she seems to have done very well for herself. Oh, very insolent of her, Mr. Gow. <laughs> But Mrs. Hegarty did need help. Mr. Burton, if I happen to be distressed by a leaky water pipe, let us say, I don't take my problem to Washington. I go to a plumber, in a manner of speaking. Well, in a manner of speaking, Mrs. Hegarty probably thought you were the plumber. <laughs> Mr. Burton, I ought to warn you that this sort of thing is impressing me very unfavorably. I'm just trying to get at the truth. Why can't he be a man instead of a canting humbug? Why does he go sneaking around persecuting widows and little mongrel dogs? He's even dragged his daughter into the case as a witness for the prosecution. I am not. You have been called as a witness, Miss Gow. Do you refuse to testify? I do. On what grounds? I, uh... I can't testify against Mr. Burton. Why not? Because, uh... Because Mr. Burton and I are husband and wife. Vicky, let's be calm. This is the last recess the judge will give us. We're all alone here in his chambers. No one can hear us. Uh, so let's go over this quietly. Did you say you and this man are married? Temper, Mr. Gow, temper. I can't have a son-in-law serving six months. What do you mean by marrying my daughter? I haven't. When on earth did... did, did, did... You're not married? Not that I know of. Vicky, then why did you say you were? To stop you and to save you. To save you both from your stupid pride. Oh, but Vicky, they, they can have you for contempt. Oh, for good Lord, it's worse than that. It's a, it's perjury. They can send you to jail for this week. Yes, they can jail me for perjury if you insist on continuing the trial. I won't stop the case. I can't stop it. Of course you can. Just drop it. Oh, but Vicky... Otherwise, they can prove that I perjured myself. Well, that won't be very nice for you, will it? Oh, yes. Yes, I think we'd better get back to the courtroom. Your Honor, the statement I wish to make is this. In my considered opinion, Mr. Burton was perfectly justified in writing that article about me. Hooray for Virgo! Go on, Mr. Gow. I realize now that a man in public life is very apt to get above himself. And Mr. Burton has brought me down to earth. In the case of Mrs. Haggerty and her dog, Patsy... I forgot to apply one of the great guiding principles of my life. And that is, 
every unit of the state is a living, breathing soul. Yes, a living, breathing soul, each with rights that are justly his. In these days, a leader must have that sixth sense. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, to you who have gathered at this town hall to support me in my campaign for governor, I say that a leader must have that sixth sense that enables him to see into the hearts of his constituents. He must stand by the little man at all times. And if I am elected by your votes... Vicky. I mean, Mrs. Burton. Yes, Mr. Burton. You know, that father of yours is going to get himself elected governor. I want to hear the speech fathers make. No, those speeches. Vicky, as soon as your father is elected governor, let's do something. What? Let's move to another state. by the way, also lived happily ever after, refusing all movie offers in order to remain in residence with Mrs. Honoria Hegarty over the butcher shop. Mrs. Hegarty was played today by Adelaide Klein. A prominent radio character actress for the past 16 years, Miss Klein has played everything from comedy show stooges to Dowager Queen Mary before the microphone. You may have seen her on Broadway in Uncle Harry or overseas in Blythe Spirit, and you may well see her soon in her first motion picture, Naked City. Frank Burton was played by Les Tremaine, one of radio's busiest performers, currently playing the title role on The Falcon, acting as master of ceremonies on the Reader's Digest show, and announcing the Drew Pearson news period. Mayor Gow was Wendell Holmes, whose memorable performance as Mr. Peters in A Coffin for Demetrius was one of the highlights of the Ford Theater of 1947. Next week, the Ford Theater presents its second musical production, Girl Crazy, with a great wealth of famous tunes by George Gershwin. First produced in 1930, Girl Crazy brought fame to Ginger Rogers and Ethel Merman and added I Got Rhythm to the list of all-time Gershwin hits. Storm in a Teacup was adapted for radio by Will Glickman, edited by Howard Teichman, with continuity by George Faulkner. The music was composed and conducted by Lynn Murray. The entire production was under the direction of George Zachary. Others appearing on today's broadcast were Brad Barker, Jackson Beck, Frank Behrens, Sanford Bickert, Jeffrey Bryant, Art Carney, Eva Condon, Carl Eastman, Arthur Cole, Gene Leonard, Daniel Ocko, Ted Osborne, Amzie Strickland, and Carl Swenson. Theater is presented by the Ford Motor Company, makers of Ford, Mercury, and Lincoln cars, and Ford trucks, tractors, and motor coaches.
This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Thank mm-hmm. you.